Good morning. I hope everyone's doing very well today. I had a vacation last week. I think it was about one day too short. But you uh, deal the hand you're dealt, don't you, Jimmy? Either that or get in trouble. Uh, I want to talk a little bit this morning about uh, happiness. Uh, times, times are difficult for a lot of folks right now. Um, a lot of people having a, a hard time getting by uh, due to the uh, cost of living. Um, personally, I'm not suffering to the degree many people are, but I know that a lot of folks you know, are really in a tight bind. The, they didn't plan on uh, this increase in prices and uh, since they've, they've had it, it's uh, robbed them of much of their happiness. Happiness is something that all of us want to have. When we think about happiness, we think about uh, long-lasting happiness. I think that's what uh, would be the uh, ideal life in most of our minds. But, uh, you know, realistically, we don't have that. That's not the way it works. Happiness is a thing that occurs uh, temporarily, okay? It's, uh, it's short-lived. Vacation starts, vacation ends, right? Uh, and that's life. You get back to business after that. Go back to work, go back to mowing the yard, go back to cutting firewood, do all the stuff that we do until uh, our next occasion of happiness, Thanksgiving, or Halloween, I guess, uh, pops up. And then we have a a period of happiness. Uh, life uh, sort of works that way. It's somewhat sporadic, uh, our, our, our periods of happiness. I remember a song they used to sing, uh, it's finally Friday, I'm free again. The implication is that the guy uh, labored all week, Monday through Friday, he wasn't having any fun. He was just getting by, he was existing. Uh, the whole week he was looking forward to Friday because Friday he's gonna get happy probably drunk but he's going to get happy and he'll stay that way till Sunday and then comes Monday and he goes back to the real world his idea of happiness was incremental every week he had uh, periods of happiness and that's kind of the way happiness is it begins it ends okay and uh, for most all people I suppose all people that's the way it is and there's uh, nothing uh, that most people can do about it. For the children of God, I think it's different, of course, but uh, for most people, most not being children of God, uh, it is sporadic and it is temporary. Uh, in between, we call down times or existing, uh, bearing with, waiting until another time of joy, an occasion of joy. The one day death comes, the end, and we have nothing to show for it. Our whole life we looked for happiness. We searched, we searched and searched. And when all things are said and done, when we finally die, we're going to hold out our hands and we'll have nothing. There'll be nothing there. There won't be a shirt on our back anymore. Uh, everything we had is gone. It doesn't belong to us any longer. Everything we had was in the world. And when we crossed the threshold of death, it stayed behind while we went the other way. 
and now all we have is memories. Memories can be good, but I think mostly memories might be painful because memories can remind us of the good old days. And rather than feasting on our memories, we might cry because of those memories, wishing there was just one more day like that. And it won't come. King Solomon, you know Solomon, he was a wise man. Extremely wise because God gave him special wisdom and knowledge. There's never been a man like Solomon. He was blessed in a way that no other man was blessed with knowledge and wisdom. And Solomon, being the brilliant person he was, he was curious as to why we're here anyway. What's this for, this thing, life? You know, how did it happen? What in the world are we supposed to do while we're here? And where are we going to go when we get done? Solomon, he, he was really puzzled by these things. And he set his mind to investigate them. And I want to I look into the mind of Solomon for just a bit. He asked in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3, What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? What profit do you get from it? You labor to build a house, for example, and the house is done. What profit do you derive from building that house? You, you set out a, a, a vineyard. You labor hard to make your vineyard and make it grow. And once it starts growing and producing grapes, where is the profit from your labor? Where's the happiness or the joy that comes with it? Jesus asked basically the same question in Matthew 16, 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Well, he went on to say and, and loses his own soul. But I'm interested in the first part of the question. What's the profit? If you owned the whole world, it was yours. And everything in it was yours. What's the profit? What happens when you die? Well, you got to leave the world and the world stays here. So what did you get out of it? How did you profit from it? These were questions that went through this man's mind, and he wanted to go search for answers. All things are full of labor. Life is a time of labor. It's laborious to live in this world. There's always something else to do. So much so that man can't even express the price of labor. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. It always wants more. It's never satisfied. However, that which has been is what will be. The eye may not be satisfied. The ear may not have enough hearing always looking for more, but they'll never find satisfaction. And it's always been that way. That's the way it's been since God created the heavens and the earth. That which is done is what will be done. History repeating itself. It's a cycle. Over and over and over and over. Nothing changes. There is nothing new under the sun. What one generation went through, the next shall follow. That generation shall pass, and the next shall follow. 
That's what he says in verse 4. One generation passes away, dies, comes to an end and leaves the world. And another generation comes and takes their place. I've watched the generations before me leave. And I moved up the food chain, so to speak, while they were leaving. Until finally I became the older generation. One day my generation is going to pass. It's going to be replaced by another generation. You know what they're going to do? Same things we did. Why? Because there's nothing new under the sun. They're going to labor because life is laborious. God made the world in such a way that people have to work. There's no way to get around it. If you don't work, you're going to die. So people go to work. But what's the profit from all that labor? That's what Solomon's asking. What's the final value? The earth abides forever. Even though those who have preceded us are now gone, the world's still here. And life continues as it did. But the loved ones, they're not here. And we wait our turn to go and follow them out of the world while our children come in and take our place. Over and over and over and over. And so it goes. There's nothing new under the sun. We spend our three score and ten years in this world. That's what the Lord has given us. Generally speaking, in an uh, average sort of way. And during that three score and ten, we make a lot of decisions as to how we're going to spend our time what we're going to do with it, what decisions we're going to make, it's all up to us. <clears throat> How will we turn a profit? We're usually taught to get an education, have a career path, make a lot of money, retire, enjoy yourself, then die. What's the profit? What do you have left? What do you take with you? You've got nothing. Nothing but memories. Memories most likely going to haunt you. And this, this was apparently really getting under Solomon's skin. And he searched for answers. You come into the world with nothing. You leave, with the, leave the world with nothing. Why are we here if that's the case? What do we get out of it? What do we gain from it? What sense does life even make when you look at it that way? It makes no sense at all. How can you be happy in such an environment? How can you find satisfaction? Sporadically, of course, but lasting satisfaction. How do you find it, or can it be found? Is there such a thing? Are we looking for something that can't be had? We wonder, and we struggle. Vanity of vanities, said Solomon. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. When you look at the picture, it's all in vain. All the labor, the struggles, the sickness you endured, the pains you experienced, and even those 
occasions of joy. He said it was all for nothing. He says in other places, it had been better if we had been, died when we were born as to go through the laborious exercise. Because you get nothing out of it. Nothing out of it. What the former generation did, built, accomplished, leaves the world and what they had passes on to the generation that replaces them. It's all in vain, Solomon said. It's all in vain. All of my building projects, all of my wisdom, all of my knowledge, everything that I put into this world, and I got to leave it for somebody. I got to leave it for a fool who won't even know what to do with it. He was talking about his son Rehoboam. Vanity, it's all in vain. I, the preacher, verse 12, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom. Now, this was a lifelong pursuit. He started searching as a young man. I was searching for those things done under heaven while we're here. Where do we find value of profit? What good is living? That's the answer Solomon wanted to find. He called it a burdensome task, living is, that God has given to the sons of men by which they are exercised. You labor day after day after day after day. But why? That's why he wants to know. I've seen all the works that are done under heaven. I've seen what people have done. I've seen what people accomplished. Remember, there was no one on the earth like Solomon. He was richer than all. He had more power than all. He had building projects that people could not believe. The Queen of Sheba, a very successful queen in her own right, had heard of the things that Solomon had done, and she didn't believe it. So she made her a trip to Jerusalem to see exactly what it was he had done. Her conclusion was the half of Solomon's works have not even been told yet. He was brilliant. They had running water in their houses in Jerusalem. They had toilets. They had a sewage system. They could use toilets in the house just like we do today. Solomon invented a steam engine. They couldn't figure out what to do with it, so it more or less just kind of faded away. There was no one in the world like Solomon, and he wanted an answer to his question. Where's happiness? Where's purpose? Where's value in this world? I looked high and low. I've seen all the works that men have done. And indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. I've seen nothing that's worth doing. I've seen nothing that isn't in vain. Surely there's got to be more to life than just this, he's thinking. And his search went on. He said in verse 16, I communed with my heart. I talked to myself about the matter. Look, I have attained greatness as king. I have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem, his daddy, Saul, and so on. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge. He had, he had knowledge and understanding and wisdom that uh, we don't even think about possessing. 
In Ecclesiastes 2, he said, I became great and I excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. In verse 10, he said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Now, a lot of us say things like that, but Solomon actually did it. Whatever he wanted, he took. The man had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He had 1,000 wives at his disposal. He built them houses. They raised his children. Some of them lived in a community, but many of them had their own housing. Whatever he wanted, he could have. And he did have. Because he was powerful. He was envious. He lusted after the flesh. He lusted because of pride. There was no sin Solomon didn't commit. Because he could. And he did. Looking for an answer to life. What is a successful life? Where is the joy, the happiness, the lasting pleasure? And he never found an answer to his quest. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward from all my labor. Notice what he says. This was my reward from all my labor. What was your reward, Solomon? My heart rejoiced. When I got done with a building project, maybe it was a castle or something, when I got done with this masterpiece of a building, I looked at it and, oh, man, I felt so good. But you know how long that good feeling lasts. You ever bought a new car? Oh, baby, get out there and you rub that thing down every day. You check the oil all the time. You're so busy doing what you can to take care of that beautiful, beautiful car. And it lasts for about a week, for some people, maybe a little longer. And then it just becomes a car again. Well, Solomon was no different than you and I. His building project was so wonderful. He loved it so much. But the new wore off. And what was he left with? Nothing. His reward was that moment of joy he experienced when he looked at his project and just loved it so much. But that was soon to pass. I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and man, this guy did a lot. He almost broke the bank in Israel because of he, the way he spent money. He was a wild man when it comes to spending money on his building projects. I looked out over everything I'd done, all those occasions of joy I experienced throughout my life. And indeed, it was all vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. The only pleasure, the only joy, the only reward he ever got out of everything he ever did was that moment of joy he experienced after he had completed one of his projects. 
But Solomon was smart enough to know that he's going to leave that building behind. He's going on somewhere else, but the building is going to stay here. It's not his building, not, not, not really. His wives were his wives, not, not really. His children were his children, no, not, not really. There was nothing in the world that Solomon did that was his. He knew it. And he concluded it was vanity. All of it was in vain. In chapter 5 and verse 10, he makes a statement that most all of us can relate to. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. You know, you always want more, don't you? You go into the boss's office and you say, I'd like to have a raise. He gives you one. A year later, you're back in his office and say, I'd like to have a raise. We never get tired of getting raises. We always want more raises. We always want to make more money. We never get tired of having a new car. Our new car becomes an old car and we want a new car. We like new things, why? Because we get a buzz from it. We have a moment of, of, of happiness, an occasion of joy. The old car was that way when we first got it, but now it's just a car. I need another car, I need another buzz, I need to be happy, I gotta buy a car. Never satisfied. There's not enough silver. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance, he will not be satisfied with increase. There is no end to our wanting. Why? Because we know. We haven't accomplished anything yet. We've done nothing we can keep, nothing that's ours. One day we got to leave and all of our stuff stays behind. We want and we want and we want, looking for that magic bullet that'll provide us with everything we hope for, dream of, that never comes. In Ecclesiastes 12, Solomon went on as he began summarizing his experience. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. You know, there's a lot of good time in life, right? But there's a lot of difficult times also, right? I mean, you know, as you get older, one, you know, it's, it's more difficult to get out of bed. A lot of times we suffer from a number of things. We tend to forget about the, the, the difficult days. But when you think back over it, you can remember there were many, many, many difficult days. Actually, it's said that there are many more difficult days than there are good days in our life. While you're young, while you're innocent, while you're pure, while you're clean, while you have no stains on your soul, think about your creator. Forget about that next car. Forget about that next farm. Think about your creator. Because in your youth, that's when you can drink it up. That's when you can drink up the knowledge. That's when you can come to a good understanding of who he is. Begin while you're young. And if you, when you get old, you will not regret it. You will not be saying in the end, vanity of vanities, all is vanities. 
because it's not. You found something that is lasting, something that goes with you into the next world. That ears draw near when you will finally say, I have no pleasure in them. It's not fun. All of those occasions of joy in the past don't bring us joy anymore. Because now our lives have changed in such a way that it's hard to appreciate all those good things we've enjoyed throughout the years. He continues uh, to say as he signs off on this particular letter, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, that is this matter of life. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all, his reason for being. You know, I bought a, a van back in 2013 and I had a reason for buying that van. We had grandkids. We needed a way to get the grandkids in and out of the vehicle so we could do things for them. So we bought a van that had a bunch of doors all over the place and we could uh, bring kids in from everywhere and we could go where we wanted to go. My point is this. I had a reason for buying that van. There was something I wanted to accomplish, something I wanted to do. As a matter of fact, when I think about it, I've had a reason for everything I've ever done. I built a house, had a reason for that. I wanted to live somewhere and I built a house. I bought a farm because I wanted to own some real, real estate property. Everything I've ever done of sizable proportion. Everything I've ever done, I had a reason for doing it. Do you not know that the Lord had a reason for creating us? Isn't it the same thing? He made the universe and everything that's in it. He provided us a place to live and then pop, he put us down in the middle of it. The Lord had a reason for all this. His reason wasn't about new cars, new trucks, going fishing. His reason was much different. He built us for a reason. Something that we're supposed to do, something that we're supposed to accomplish in our lifetime. What is this reason? Fear God and keep his commandments. But that's the whole purpose of you being here in the first place. You want to find lasting happiness, happiness that can't be taken away from you? Fear God and keep his commandments. You want to find everlasting joy? Fear God and keep his commandments. Are you saying you'll never have a bad day? No, you will have bad days. You will have many bad days, just like everybody has many bad days. The thing about you is this. No matter what happens during your bad days, you have the hope of eternal life. You have a reason for being. You have a purpose. You're going somewhere. You've laid hold on something that can't be laid hold on by men. Fear God. Keep his commandments. If you want to find purpose. I was a sinner. I became a saint. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt. Fearing God and keeping his commandments is the best part of my entire life. Nothing's ever topped it. If you want to find Lasting happiness, peace, and joy. Fear God and keep his commandments. Why? One day 
God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing we had done, whether good or evil. And he will judge us by our works. He put us here for a reason. And in the end, he's going to judge us according to that reason. John, did you fear me? Did you fear me and keep my commandments? And if I did, eternal life. If I did not, eternal condemnation. There's no true fulfillment, reason, joy, peace, or lasting happiness for those pursuing the things of the world. People all over the world are searching for happiness. And I can tell them right now, no matter where they go, no matter how much money they spend, they're not going to find it. It's not out there, folks. You're not going to find it. No matter what you find, it's not going to be enough. You're always going to want more. You are a spirit being, and there is nothing in this world that can satisfy you. You are a spirit being made in the image of God, and the only thing that can fill you up is God. There just is no other way. Solomon tried it. That's why he wrote this book, so we could see all the labor, the, the, the pains he took to find a purpose for life, and he found nothing other than fearing God and keeping his commandments. I hope he repented. I hope he went on to eternal life. That remains to be seen. But I do know at least he understood how to find happiness in this world. Without God, you're left empty-handed. You'd be standing there in the day of the judgment with nothing to hold on to. Nothing to look forward to. Whereas the children of God have the hope of life with God. I know everybody's not going to obey the gospel. I know that. But I've got to tell you, with all my heart, I wish everybody in this room would. So badly, there's only one way to true fulfillment, and that is to fear God and keep his commandments. Jesus touched on the matter. That take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Notice that word life. When we think about life, we generally think about existence or biological life. And when most people read this passage, that's what they think of. Your existence isn't about the abundance of things you can possess. But we, we look a little closer and we find out that's not the case at all. Jesus didn't use the word bios, which means existence. Rather, he used the word zoe, which means meaningful or purposeful. A purposeful life, a meaningful life, does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Your life will have no meaning if it's the new car that fries your bacon in the morning. It's not going to be enough to fill you up. It's not going to be enough to make you happy. It's not going to be enough to aid you in obtaining eternal life. Try as we may, and I think probably all of us have tried, we know from personal experience that there's always another want around the next corner 
until you find the Lord. Life is not attainable from the material world. And this is what Jesus is saying. You just can't find it that way. Take heed, therefore, and beware of covetousness because it will let you down in the end. Paul spoke of those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You're saying that they did not receive the truth and this is why they will perish? No, that's not what he said. He said they did not receive the love of the truth. Anybody can read the Bible and memorize it. I know people who are atheists, or at least claim to be atheists, that can quote scripture to you coming and going. They know the Bible very well. Well, does that mean that they're going to be saved? Not at all. There are people in churches who know the Bible. They study the Bible. They listen to people like me. They hear the Bible quoted. They've come to memorize certain passages. They may even study the Bible for themselves. I know what the Bible says about that matter. That's good, but that's not enough because there has to be a love of the truth. That's when the reward comes, when you love the truth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus said. We have many things that we lust after. Most of the things that we lust after are not necessary to sustain our life. But when it comes to hungering and thirsting, those are necessary items. Because if we don't hunger and thirst, if we don't quench those lusts that we have, we'll die. So Jesus used two elements to impress upon us the importance of loving righteousness or the truth, which is one and the same. You've got a hunger for it. You've got a lust after it. When you get to the point where you need to know more Bible, when you need to understand more Bible, when it becomes a hunger that you honestly possess, that's when you've hit the nail on the head. And that's where the joy comes from. It's not about just the truth. For this reason, that is, because they did not receive the love of the truth, for that reason, God will send them strong delusion. God will enable something that may look similar to the truth, but not be the truth. He's not the creator of it, but he enables it. He allows it to come into one's fear or life. Why? That this person who did not receive the love of the truth should believe the lie and not be saved. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Notice the contrast. There were those who did not have pleasure in the truth but rather, they had pleasure in unrighteousness. You and I must learn to find pleasure in truth or righteousness. In our relationship with God, when I courted VR, I drove her daddy nuts because I was constantly showing up on his doorstep. I know they had to get tired of seeing me, because I was interrupting, interfering with her life. But I wanted my BR. And I went back time after time after time. 
I knew it had to be frustrating. That didn't matter because I was wanting my BR. And I continued to go back. When we feel that way about God, then we'll find happiness. A happiness that lasts. That's real. I pray that you search for it because I know if you do, you will find it and it will be yours. If you're not a Christian, you are to believe in Jesus as the Christ. Stop sinning and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins as Christians. We're not done, folks. We're not done. We're in the process of becoming like Jesus. And we work diligently to do that. It gets tiring sometimes. It gets old sometimes. We watch the cheaters on the other side of the world and we feel so bad. But we're out to please God, not man nor ourselves. And we keep on keeping on.